This is Mentality Podcast episode number 15. I'm going to intro Chris O'Connor here. It's kind of his gig, it's kind of his short notice. We have to get this conspire. one out. Conspire, yeah. is it, con- you can't say use conspire, can you? What's it, what, would you, what word would you use as a writer to say that it's short notice, you come on, this is it, this is you now. <laughs> What are you setting me up for? Conspire. Here, you've conspired. Uh, I just want to introduce Ben and you're playing work games. You've conspired this podcast at short notice. For want of a better word, is is drummed up this podcast. We've had Paul Fox here and Ben Tago here. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Chris to intro the um, ins and outs of it. But for me, it was an awesome, awesome chat that I got a lot from. And I'm sure everyone listening will get a lot from. We went on quite a bit of a journey talking about Ben's Ben's writing journey but also and what our points of view are on mental health but on the creative side of things as well yeah so we had Ben Tago on he's a mate of mine a writer was one of my writing mentors and we also had Paul Fox who's a friend of the podcast an actor um, he's worked with Ben in a few projects before um, Ben's written for Doctors EastEnders Casualty Coronation Street um, Jamie Johnson uh, he's recently done The Lucky Man oh Lucky Man Lucky Man yeah you got corrected didn't you yeah I did yeah <laughs> Lucky Man um, which was on Sky, which was a, a really good commission for him. Um, Foxy's done a lot of theatre in Leeds. Uh, he's been on the A Word on TV, Jamie Johnson, Life is Sketchy. Um, and yeah, it was a really, really good chat. We chatted about, um, we chatted quite a lot about groups of men, mental health, and then banter and how we use banter almost as a sign of love, but then yeah, how we. Solidarity. You, yeah, but you've yeah. also got to be wary of not going over the line. And yeah. um, we talked a lot about Ben's play, which is about friendship and mental health. Um, which is with Freedom Studios, a Bradford-based theatre company. And this should be dropping on Wednesday the 14th, and there's a performance tonight in Leeds at the Gate Community Centre. It's going to be Thursday the 15th of November at the Farsley Constitutional Club and Queen's Mill in Castleford on Friday the 16th of November. And then Saturday 17th of November, last date, St John's Churchill in Barnsley. Um, so if you can get along to one of those dates, um, it's a really, really good play. I've seen it once, going to go see it again. Um, raises some really important topics which, is, which we touched on in the podcast and yeah we talked about Ben's journey as a writer um, and how he kind of at a point in his life where he wasn't feeling too fulfilled and happy packed it all in and followed his kind of dream of becoming a writer and yeah kind of went from light to dark quite a lot but um, thought it was a good one yeah so we've had an intro of an intro and I reckon we can zone in on the podcast we will see you people listening at the Thursdays showing in Farsley. Yeah, come along. Come Mentality. along. Say hello. And you will want to come and watch it after this smashing podcast. Thanks for joining us, Ben, and Foxy as well. Hello. Um, yeah, just to kick off, um, tell us a bit about yourself, Ben, your journey into writing and, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've lived in Yorkshire and Leeds for, well, I live in Wakefield now, but 16 years and I came down here to study creative writing out at Brighton Hall sort of part of Leeds University and that was the start of me writing really I was 26, 27 at that point I hadn't really done any any writing before that so I'd had a good few other jobs beforehand but that was the start of me sort of trying to be a writer so yeah what kind of like because um, you were d- IT consultant is that right? Before? no 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 no. I mean I worked in IT recruitment so oh, I've sort yeah, of yeah. Um, and I worked in construction recruitment sold mobile phones I lived over in Spain for a while worked in bars Travelled around Europe, working on campsites, maintenance work on caravans, and had a whole like driven vans, worked on building sites, done loads of different stuff. And not kind of happy in any of them, or 
Eh, not for very long. No, yeah, yeah, the yeah, campsites yeah. one sounds like a. Do you know what? That was actually all right. To be fair, that was good because we just travelled all over Europe. We lived. It was me and a, a lad, a scouse lad, and then we worked for this guy who was he was ex army. So it was a bit of a mad old scenario. We lived in caravans and we travelled all over Europe, and the caravans used to come on ferries for Hull, bizarrely enough, and you'd get to a site and then you'd have to take all the old ones off and put the new ones on and shift yeah, them yeah. around a bit. We had a four before and. Man, it was all muddy, you had like metal tracks and all that. You had to drag these big massive caravans through campsites and that was quite good fun. Only for a few months, but that was all right. And did you always kind of like have an ambition to be a writer around growing up and I think I, when I was at school, English was always my best subject and and I always loved books and films and TV and all that. But I never really grew up believing that that was a career option, to be mm. honest. No. And when I was like in my teens, I did used to always like when I'd be out on nights out and be drunk, whatever, I'd be coming up with ideas for films and blowing everybody to tears. My mates all thought it was just ridiculous. You know, this things never change, yeah. That's it's true, <laughs> mate. I'm nothing if not consistent. <laughs> but no, no, it was a bit of a running joke that my head was in the clouds and that was always a daydream. And I'd say, oh, this, imagine this idea for a film and that, maybe in the pub. And like, people would find it funny and they'd sort of humour me, but it was never like it was going to be a job. No, not at all. But if your life was a film, right, there was actually kind of like one night where you made a decision to kind of give it a go, right? And it was, yeah, you yeah. were stranded in Leeds. I mean, that was a point probably where I was quite, like really unhappy yeah. in terms of work life. You know, I mean, I just was in the wrong job. I was talking about money every single day and it was quite high pressure. It was a sales job and I earned really good money. You know, when it was good, it was good, but I was just going through a point where I really hated it. I had a client in Leeds came down one night and I always used to drive down. It was BT, was my client. I always used to drive down to Leeds and this particular time I got the train, the trains were cancelled because of the weather and I ended up being stranded in Leeds and just had this amazing night in Leeds and literally that next morning I thought, I'm, I'm in the wrong job, you know. What was that amazing night? What did that amazing night come from? I mean, it, was, it wasn't anything like sort of, what happened was, was a guy I knew, my sister's mate was at Leeds College of Music uh, and he uh, he's, he's, he runs a wee production company, music production company in Leeds now. And he was like, I, I'd known him a lot for a long time and he was the only guy I knew who lived in Leeds, only here for one night. So I got in touch with him and he took me to an open mic night at the Duck and Drake pub. And it was like, I met loads of really cool people, a lot of actors and that in there, and just really people who were involved in the arts and creatives. And it was mainly music. I think it was a bit of spoken word as well. Um, and I just had this amazing sort of just spontaneous impromptu night. And I'd been wanting to do something creative for a long time. And I just thought, I, I want to move to Leeds and I want to get, I want to go and, I'd been thinking about going back to universities, didn't know what to do. So I went on the Leeds University website and saw the creative writing degree. And I thought that's something I could probably get into without having to do any other additional study before I could just apply. So I applied that week and within about, about a month, six weeks, I'd give my job up and two months later I moved down to Leeds. What did your friends say and family and stuff? Did they all think you were... Oh, they thought I was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Bloody mad, boy! <laughs> <laughs> my dad, my dad obviously, you know, because my dad's from Ghana, you know, he's got that sort of more of an immigrant mentality in terms of once you've got a good job, mm. that's it. What, Crack on. You know, when I'm saying to him, I'm not happy though. And he's like, what do you mean you're not happy? You know, you've, you've got what's going to make you happy. You've got a job, you've got a nice car, you've got a smart flat. You know, you should be thinking about settling down and having a family, not going back to university to be a writer. What's How's that going to work? And he was quite cynical about it, I think. And I think a lot of people around me thought it was crazy, yeah. 
what was um what was the self self talk going on when you made that decision or made that move? Like the self talk yeah, in me. Yeah. I mean, I'd been. I'll be honest. I'd been really, really unhappy. As probably as unhappy as I can remember being. Well, certainly mm. one point where I really, really, when I think back, now, I think I was probably borderline depressed. If I'm absolutely honest, you know, I was kind of just didn't wasn't. I think your work's such a big part of your life, and I just was not enjoying what I was doing for a living. And, as a result, I was going out and getting trashed at the weekend and I was I was making quite a lot of money at that point. It took me years to get my earnings back to that point. But I was just going out and spending my money on, you know that thing where you're like just sort of spending money to make yourself feel yeah, better? Yeah, yeah. Like the short term, like boost, yeah. Yeah, and I had like a, had like a flashy car and all the rest of it and I had, a, a, I had my own flat and everything like that, but I was absolutely miserable. So once I did it, it was weird. It was like a weight off my shoulders. Yeah. I remember like being really, really sort of feeling quite anxious and just fed up in that all the time. And then when I gave up that job and I sold my flat, and I made a wee bit of money on my flat, which sort of was able to help me get set up down here. And just during the course of that summer, I just suddenly got excited about life. I know that sounds probably a wee bit corny or that, but I did start to think I'm really enjoying myself again now, whereas I had probably a good six months where I just really wasn't enjoying life at all. How old were you then? <clears throat> 26 I turned 27 that summer so just before I started junior I turned 27 mm. it's interesting that because there's there's so many people that you speak to and you kind of find yourself in a job which whatever your circumstances were when you were younger but when you get to a certain age and obviously 26 you kind of think well this is it I'm going to be mm. I'm, I'm going to be doing this and you're sort of like your friends and your family the kind of old similar sort of views but it, it just shows you that you don't need to no. you know what I mean you don't need to be you can be any age really you know, I, a lot of people I, I think say now, that to me. Paul, because we live so much longer as well, there was a time when, I mean, the age really has gone up and like being 50, 60 now, that used to be really old. Whereas now, 26, 27 is no age. Oh, you know, no, really? yeah, no, you're mm. still, I mean, like, like my, my daughter's just going through a GCSEs and she was like, walking around with a really long face and I'm like what's the what's what's the problem and she's like oh, I, just, I don't I don't know what I want to do all my friends have decided what they want to do career-wise and I'm like listen don't even you know I know 40 year olds that don't know what they want to do so just don't let it stress you out mm. Mm. yeah I, I worked at the career center at the university for a bit when I was doing my main writing um and I remember so many students coming in and there's so much pressure because they've got so much debt now they all were like I don't know what I want to do with myself. I don't know what I'm going to do after uni. And I remember one of my pieces of advice to them was, that's amazing. It means you could be doing anything. You could mm. be in Australia next year. You could be here. Don't be so worried about knowing what you're going to do. Um, focus kind of on happiness first and how work well, would fit into that. And then yeah. what go you, from there. What you love to do? And obviously you've got to pay the bills, right? So I think they, do it. It, they do it differently in like Denmark and, and Scandinavia. I think they get like a, a block of years, which is like normal for them after... Um, after education, you know, after like the, the A levels, you know, mm. alternative to A levels, they have like three years gap year, um, well gap period before they choose or decide what they want to do. They might not even know after that. Mm. It's, it's like a well good idea. Takes a while to to kind yeah. of sort or kind of file down to what you want to do and, oh, and enjoy. Yeah. I think especially now because education, I, I know it's technically not proper debt, but it's expensive mm. to go to university. You know, you're, you're saddling yourself, you know, and you'd probably. Own, I, I dropped out of a university degree when I was 18 and I went back just before tuition fees and all that came in. But I think it's such a big decision to make because I don't understand why you do something like that when you're 18, mm. 19. I, I've got a son who's 14 and I've been saying to him, you know, don't rush into committing so much of your time if you don't really feel passionate about what you yeah. want to do, you know. You do because you've obviously always known what you want to do, Steve. Yeah. Um, well, it, for me, it's interesting because 
I know I knew since I was six, seven years old, like what I wanted to do. Mm. It was like always the focus for me, even even you know during school and so school was like the like the backup for me. Um, well, you know if it, if you get injured or you know for after your career, it's like the it's like the the backup plan. Mm. Um, but over time, when I got a bit older, it turned into something that I was interested in. You, you mentioned Ben English, and um, that's something that's really interesting for me. Um, and somewhere that, that I feel like I'm quite good at and, and works quite well. Um, and I reckon learning that and, and having the attitude to learn it, because I did my A-level at the same time as playing professional, it was a really good idea for me to, to do something that I enjoyed because rugby, I was going to play rugby, but to, to, to enjoy English and to be good at that was, was worked for me. And then over the last few years, it's kind of picked picked things and, and, and things have come to the fore for which really interest me and I enjoy alongside rugby. So... Bit of a different, bit of a different one for me, but yeah. obviously rugby is the the number one in it, and it has been and, and will be for for some times. But you know, it's almost a period where um, you're exploring these different things, speaking to different people, speaking mm. to, or go into different events and, and kind of figuring out for the for me. I've got I've got I, I need another job after playing. So well, that's it. You only have relatively yeah. short careers, don't you? Mm. In terms of how long you work, do they run anything alongside? I know in the army they they obviously sort of like prepare you for. Uh, you have opportunities to go and study mm. and train and that sort of thing. Do they, they do that in rugby yeah. and other sort of sports? So every, every club now needs a, a welfare manager, which is brilliant. We've got a welfare manager, um, Nigel Johnson, who's who's always around and he's there basically um, for any lads if they want to, well, they want to go speak to someone. Right. Um, but also if, <clears throat> if they want to learn a trade, or if they want to kind of go and use their interests, you know, externally from, from rugby and, and, and kind of, exercise that so someone might be interested in property someone might want to do a trade brick laying or mm. you know someone might want to do a degree and yeah. they, they fix it all together which is good because it's not been there in the past and it's mad really have... when you think about how intense sport is and you know you look at mm. how many sort of successful sportsmen suffer with depression yeah. when they leave you yeah, know yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a no-brainer isn't it yeah yeah without doubt yeah you get you get people that that kind of come to and Paul Wood mentioned this I did an interview with Paul Wood upon launching mentality but he was saying to me like it's basically rugby league everything's done for you you know everything everything's done you know diet everything you name it you know they need you to be the best so it's like the army isn't it exactly structure, exactly. Yeah. You've got structure, structure in your life routine yeah. structure yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he goes I got to the end of my career I didn't even know how to write a CV I've never had to um, go to a job interview and it's like well, it's like thirty, you know, thirty-five years old. You suddenly get to the stage. Everyone's got this, got the jobs. They've been through this process, but you've got to, you've, you've, you've been landing this plot uh, spot now, unless you've been looking while you, while you're playing and and kind of engaging your interest in different different routes. Then you just, uh, then you're out of it. I'll no one's, no one's helping you after. Yeah, yeah. So it's only been this last few years where there has been that appreciation that it's a really difficult thing yeah. to. Yeah. To go from having that structured life and and also having the sort of regular, the adrenaline of it, the excitement of yeah. it, the sense of belonging and purpose and all exactly. that stuff that just goes, you know. Exactly. I think people are now becoming a bit more conscious, like, right, it's happened for quite a while. You know, things need putting in place. They kind of need to know what works for them, um, whether that's in a job or whether it's, you know, they're keeping the fitness up elsewhere. Because you've been used to something for your whole life. Mm. And I've been used to something for my whole life. I've played since I was six and were at Rhino since I was 12. So it's like there's this stuff there that you need to kind of mm. 
keep feeding. If well, you, you need like. something to replace that. Mm. Which you come from, don't you? Exactly. Well, you've exactly. also uh, you've had a successful TV acting career. Oh, I yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, Neighbours. Yeah. And we thought it'd be good to have someone who's, who's a good TV as well. actor. On yeah. today. I think are we all we've, uh, involved in TV? I think. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. Have you done? I think uh, you're the only one left, aren't you? Oh, well, it's, well uh, gutting. It's more shit. of a radio theatre man. It's a bit more, you know, <laughs> cerebral highbrow. Yeah. yeah. If any other TV is listening, I will work. Hey, listen, yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> we still respect. Well, we, we still. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. matter. We still matter. Thinking about we him, don't we? yeah, we do. Yeah. Thinking about your acting career, though, Foxy, is quite similar to Ben, right? Like in the sense that you. Had a trade and like probably like we're doing quite well and then at one point did you just (laughs) (laughs) you just I guess had a what a a dream that you'd love to be acting one day and then did you just think I'm just going to give it a go? Nah, I'd never had a dream. I'd always sort of like coasted through life. I'd played in bands and I always thought that that's what Mm. I was going to do. And then obviously life had other ideas. I had a family and you know um, I did a plastering apprenticeship when I left school my dad was like listen just get yourself a trade and I was reluctantly I was like yeah all right whatever and it's like one of the best things I ever did Mm. but when I realized that like music wasn't going to be it wasn't going to play a part in my life in that way I kind of just shut it all down and I was like yeah just get you know my family like just you know concentrate on your family and everything else so for a couple of years I didn't really do anything like that but just like creatively and it sounds really wanky to say oh yeah I needed a creative outlet but I did I felt a little bit stifled so I thought, the first thing that I decided to do was hospital radio. I said, I always fancied the idea of being a DJ and I kind of thought, oh, I bet that's pretty easy actually. Just, you know, talk a load of bollocks for a couple of hours and, and have a laugh. I couldn't think of anyone better, yeah. <laughs> I could not think of anyone but, better. So you'd think, but I went and did a couple, of, well, did about two or three months on hospital radio and it's flipping, it's really difficult. Because <laughs> you, can't, you can't swear for one, right? And uh, that's kind of part of my everyday vernacular. Yeah. Uh, but it is really difficult. And I kind of thought, well, that's that's not really working out for me. So I just thought, give acting a go. Um, found a local amateur dramatics group, and never thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna join this and I'm gonna get paid for it and then I'm gonna go get a TV work. And so it was just, oh, let's just see what happens. And I really liked it. And so it, it was out. never you never set out on that thinking nah. this is potentially a, a thing I'll ever do professionally. No, I just I just always fancied doing it, and it mm. was just let's see what happens here and. I went down with no expectations and just really enjoyed it for a good couple of years before people started to say, oh, you might be pretty good, actually. You know, and there's a lot of flannel in the arts. As we were just saying before, a lot of people blow smoke at your backside when it might not necessarily be true. And so you think, oh, well, you you know, I hadn't had any training or anything like that. But then you start to believe in yourself a little bit and you think, oh, there might be something in it. And I just, you know, like any sort of trade, you meet someone, and then you meet the next person. It's you know it's yeah, all been yeah. sort of like a path up to where I am now, which is skin and um, yeah. in debt. <laughs> but and, I um, guess I guess when you go to an amateur the dramatics society association, mm. there's not many large plasterers walking off a, a site. You must have got some stick. Oh yeah. yeah, massively. That yeah, like you say, like when it became apparent, like to the people that I work with on site. Like you, you're off to like I've got to finish here because I've got a rehearsal, I've got a dress rehearsal, and, and your you standard reaction is "Ooh, <laughs> what are you dressing up for?" and that all kind of thing. But it all comes from like, I suppose it all comes from like a, a curious place. Mm. I, I, once you got past that sort of like facade of um, "Ooh, he's off putting makeup on," instead you're like putting makeup on and all that. They were actually genuinely interested when they're like, "Oh, what's, what, what are you doing then? What, tell us what you're doing," and sit down with them and sort of like explain it. And most people like. I work for a lot of builders and they're really sympathetic to the fact that I have this other mm. career. So if I need to finish early or take a day off to go do a, an audition, 
people are genuinely fascinated I, by I it. find that as well with writing though yeah because right? it's this it's this sort of like velvet it's this curtain something different like, that they've not yeah what goes what, what so what goes on then have you um have you met gail platt then what's she like is she all right i, I, I always wonder that um you know like these gangster rappers and that like you know these the charts up and stuff and talk about dealing drugs and everything like that but when did they say to the mates oh, i'm gonna nip in i'm early i'm gonna go just write some rhymes and, and like it's like <laughs> i think a lot of those guys cool there, a it? lot of those guys just come up with that though because mm, i think that's yeah. a quite a commonly hell and, and it's a different thing that from i think from being a writer or an actor because i think it's always held up as quite a cool thing yeah. to do even for a young age whereas for me i mean i obviously didn't, didn't write as a teenager you didn't act as a teenager mm. but when i was at school like the thought of going and doing any sort of performance that it didn't fit with the kind of mm. sort of way I was trying to portray myself. I was trying to portray myself as a bit of a lad and, and this and that. And to go and be in the school show, to be in the musical to school. Oh, yeah, massively frowned I would, upon. I would never have done yeah. it. But even mm. though all my, I mean, all my mates work, my mates from home all work in the building trade. A lot have got their own companies now. Some of them are still on the tools and that. And and same thing, like they, they'll they'll all laugh and, and joke about what mm. I do for a living. But even before I got into TV, when I was still just writing plays and stuff like that. But secretly, I think every one of them was quite supportive as well on, on the mm. quiet. Yeah. They would, they would absolutely rip as, as, as guys do. It's what we do. You know, you, they would, they would tear you to shreds really, yeah. but you, but they would always say, Oh, it's great that you're doing something different, you know? Yeah, and did you, yeah. so when you think, Oh, I'm going to be a writer, did you think, no, as in I'm going to make money from writing to live? Is that, was that the aim as soon as you yeah, kind of set yeah, out? Yeah, I thought I, I, I did. So I was definitely, I, I went and did my degree, but for me doing a degree was as much about I needed to just go and do something that gave me a bit of an outlet mm. for all. But I did always, and I was always, it was weird because I went on that course and I was really surprised. I thought it'd be more mature students. And there was actually a lot of kids straight from sixth form, mm. 19 years old and that, you know, and I, that surprised me because, and they weren't really, they, they, it felt like for a lot of them, they were, they, had a, they were a wee bit sort of spoiled, they had the luxury of just going to uni for as a yeah, rites of yeah. passage kind of thing. Whereas I'd given up a job and I, I mean, my son was born when I was in my final year of uni as well, but I had given up a job and I bought a house when I had a mortgage and, and I felt like I was more of an adult, I was 27, so... It felt like it had to be a career potential, even though I knew it was a tough career. I kind of felt like I had to try and, I mean, and because it's a broad-based degree, I didn't know it was going to be script right now. I didn't know it would be that because mm. it covered journalism, it covered like prose, yeah, yeah, poetry, and all that kind of stuff was in it as well. Ooh, poetry! <laughs> so um, everything's poetry, Paul. It is, mate. Uh, it was very poetic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so it covered, but I, so I was, I had quite a practical point of view in it that I was looking for a way that I could make a career as a writer because I very quickly started to enjoy it and, and I started working in like sort of corporate writing a mate of mine worked for a like an ad agency communications agency and they were actually looking for a a writer to write a column in I forget which tabloid newspaper it was now but it was ghost ghost writing effectively for the mm. regional director of Ladbrokes in Manchester a betting column and there was nobody in his office that could write that because none of them was interested in sport or football or that. So that was my first paid writing job, was writing a column every Friday. It went in every Friday and it was basically about betting. And I started to pick up that work and I worked as a copywriter for a little while doing that sort of stuff to kind of pay the bills. Mm. And at one point I thought that might be the kind of writing that I do to make a living. But I always had aspirations to write drama and to write TV and stuff like that. So, because your first in was in theatre, right? And yeah. was that... So your ambitions were kind of TV, but did you think theatre was like the best way in as like a... 
Oh, it really, emerging writer. It really was because I realised that it was quite. A, I always, I always had a sort of affection for theatre, but I never really went to much theatre. Mm. And, and and then I saw. I remember seeing a play called Sunbeam Terrace by Mark Catley. Actually, when I first moved to Leeds at the Playhouse, and I really liked that. I thought that was, and I'd seen some good stuff. But I'd always seen myself as being a TV writer. But they, they don't take big, because the budgets are so big on TV, they don't tend to commission a lot of writers who've not got a track record. Mm. And I kind of thought, I'd, I'd written a radio script before, which I'd entered for a BBC competition and I'd come runner up in that and got some money for that. That was the Alfred Bradley. The Alfred Bradley. I've Bradley. just applied for that have last you, really, week, first time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was great. I mean, for me, I, I, I can't even remember how much money I got. It wasn't a huge amount. It was about a few hundred quid. The, the first prize was, was, was a lot more, but I got a, a runner's up bursary. And I got a mentor, a guy who I still have been doing a little bit of work with, who's a, who's a comedy, a TV comedy producer now, but worked in radio then. And uh, I realised that I would have to try and build up a professional track record in theatre and radio. And it's much easier to do because you can, they'll put a play on by a new writer. It's very rare that, that, that on TV they'll just give somebody who's really, who's not even had a career in the theatre will get a chance yeah. on TV, you know. Well, tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. Keep trying, mate. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, it does help though. I mean, I, for me, getting that first professional commission in theatre was what allowed me to apply for the BBC Writers Academy at the time. Yeah, yeah. So for me, there was a kind of sort of strategic thing to it that if I can get a couple of plays under my belt, it'll help with the TV stuff. But actually, theatre writing is a really, really satisfying thing because TV writing's tough. You know, it's a very, it's a really, really sort of, you have to be really, really mentally robust to get through the process because it can be pretty stressful and, deadlines can be pretty quick and you're getting notes from here there and everywhere and you're trying to keep a lot of people happy while still writing something that you believe in as well and and it is it's, writing tv can be really really tough you know yeah i've heard i went to a couple of the bbc writers and um, the northern writers group mm. and uh they did a lot of tv workshops and people from casualty and doctors mm. came along and you did yeah. some stuff with them and I really thought it was really cool, but it was far more structured and you're, you're far less free as a writer. Definitely. Um, and then yeah. when you go back to like theatre and radio, it, you kind of got so much more freedom to... Definitely. To so it's, and... it's it's very hard to make a make a living as a theatre writer yeah, doing yeah. purely theatre. But I mean, I'm now trying... I'm trying to do a play a year now to, to always have a play on the go, but just one. Because it takes up much more of your headspace as well. Because... When you're, particularly if you're writing on an existing TV show, there's a format there, there's a structure there, there's usually characters there. Mm. And whilst, whilst, you know, it's not easy because you've got this pressure of deadlines and it's just a, a lot bigger scale, there is something there that you can sort of cling on to. Whereas when you're trying to create something from scratch as you're in the theatre, that's a different challenge. But it's ultimately can be a really, really fulfilling, enjoyable thing as well, you know? Yeah, so before we, because you've got a play out at the moment, mm. which we're going to talk about, but before we get onto that, was your first professional production the one you met Paul Fox on? Think no, about psychopaths. No, no, that was my second play. So was it called, called Turkey at Nana's? Or no, it was, was called Bittersweet Sunshine. So that was uh, it was a small, a smaller one. Red Ladder did. That wasn't was Red Ladder. It? Yeah, 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 and that yeah. was after the Street Voices. So I did Street Voices, did a short play on that, and then then off the back of that, I got the Bittersweet Sunshine commission, yeah. which was. It was a community play, but it was Red Ladders. It was a thing that they call Red Grit, which is an actor training. I think they still do. Yeah, yeah. Actor training. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's that. And then, then they, they commissioned a writer to write a play for that um, for that sort of cohort. And uh, so that was my first sort of professional commission was that. So had, you, had, you, <laughs> had you started that um, idea at Street Voices, Bittersweet, 
No, what, it was what, a different idea. What was it called? Bittersweet. Bittersweet sunshine. sunshine yeah. Bittersweet sunshine. Yeah, and that was that was. So again, I went in to meet Rod Dixon at Red Ladder. Yeah, yeah. He had been Madney Eunice, who's now um, who's now moving from the bush in London to. I think he's going to one of the big buildings in the centre of London. He's, he is, he's, I forget which one it is. But I you're forget right. what he's got a new job coming. But Madney ran Street Voices when I did that. He introduced me to Rod, went in to see Rod, and I pitched Rod the idea of Bittersweet Sunshine. And uh, and he he asked if I could if I would write that for Red Grit. And uh, in fact, I think we talked about a few different ideas, but then when 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 we looked at who was in Red Grit that idea worked in terms of because you had to kind of make it work for the actors that they had available and you tended to get a lot of sort of younger women who had mm. who'd maybe already been to drama school or were at drama school or who who had aspirations that way so but there's actually someone in the room right now who's currently doing red grit oh right <laughs> who's, who's, who's that Mr. Stevie Walsh doing red grit Stevie yeah. he's yeah. just done his first I'm one last week and what, I mean I imagine you're running the the workshop because having done nervous it's <laughs> yeah. a bit did you walk uh, in with your sunglasses and like yeah, okay, yeah. yeah I, sh I showed up late and everything I come there showing up late with your leather jacket on yeah 6pm <laughs> <laughs> I turned up at about 25 past and you're calling me saying where's this warehouse yeah where's this where? You, uh, he's, he's on the circuit he knows what's yeah, he going on <laughs> being your mate he would have thought he'd have given you a bit yeah. of you know how more. have you found that Stevie I found it to be one of the biggest things out of my comfort zone for a while really that's interesting yeah, yeah. um just something i won't go into the exercises that we did but i can imagine i've probably done a few of them myself yeah, it is, uh, you've, you've got to leave whatever ego or anything at the, door. You at do. the dogs you I've, do. I've done stuff where i've kind of thought what really i mean sort of like you know imagine you what, were sort really? of some sort of animal you know sliding around on the floor all that kind of stuff whether yeah. it works or not i don't know but you do I just, feel uh, a bit yeah, you said what really then i thought you were what do you mean what Stevie's really yeah. no no yeah really? i was quoting it yeah yeah it's like oh. it's like a mantra that i go through every morning <laughs> like to learn from the best you like yeah, to yeah, mind yeah. yourself yeah. top of the tree yeah yeah kind of... you've got stanislavski de niro pacino Ward. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's, like thing, it's like one of them things you know and things that you, you like think about every day and just yeah. wish it you were there again it's like yeah. one of them things for me you know, Stevie um, was in Neighbours. He was in Neighbours. I'm yeah, gathering but, that yeah. now. I wasn't. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. Yeah. Leeds Rhinos were playing Melbourne Storm in the World Club Challenge, and they asked um, three of the players, "Could they come into the Neighbours Cafe?" Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've 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 drilled this out already on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we ended and, uh, up going on there, and, and you were the one that got the line, Stevie. Well, can you do a line? A, can there's you do a, there's a story behind that? Yeah, I will do. Yeah, it was like so. I ended up doing the line. Didn't you steal it off Ryan Hall? He, well, I, there was there was a lot of I heard you were helping him out around. It. I did I did help mm. him out. He, he sacrificed it because he. I know it's like the stage fright thing, isn't it? You know when people see all lights and that, and the little cameras coming down and that. I don't know if I can do it. So I'm like, oh, look, I, I've said to all before, I'll do it, mate. He's like, yeah, you do it, you do it. I'll just stand here and, and um, mime. Is it mime? When they're doing the extras noises, I can't um, Yeah, yeah. You're an extra poor one. No, 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 I've never done any of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that when, you, when people find out you're an actor, they go, oh, well, there's an extra. Like, no, 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 it's like, it's a proper actor, you know, just like telling, saying the words and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually background artist, that's the, it's not extra. That's 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 supporting that's artist. A, that's the word. That's yeah, the essays. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Good experience. You've got, yeah. you got to try things, haven't you? And put yourself in that, that, um, Nice wee cameo to get though. Neighbors. Oh yeah, oh, I want a cameo. I think it was just lead. I think it was Stone. Yeah, it was a line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So I've only I've only ever played myself though. That's it. Yeah, because he's done Amazon Prime. He claims. I'm which on is a documentary Prime about well. the rhinos. Where yeah. he's, counts, doesn't it? Yeah, still counts. It's on his it's on his CV. What's on yours? Can you Exodus? Can you edit your radio leads? Whistling Exodus BBC Radio leads on now for twenty three more days. Still get a feel for your screen presence from that though. You know, I mean, that's 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 it. Can I have an IMDb now after that? Yeah, yeah, of course you can. Can you play? Can you play anyone other than yourself though? So it's only what Jack Nicholson does. Exactly. They don't want me to play. He only plays Jack Nicholson. Yeah. He's not a chance to test his range yet. But that's what Red Grit's all about. That's it. That's it. That's it. I've just done one. Met some characters. Have you? Yeah. Um, Did you play Stevie Ward? No. It was like, it was almost playing someone who had no sort of, you know, fixed identity at all. It was, it was a real weird situation. For I, I went, I went to a couple of Red Grit sessions oh, really? when I was right, just, just, just to see who was in the room and to, to get a feel for it. And again, that was out of my comfort zone because yeah. I'm just no, I'm not as a writer. I'm, I've got no interest in any mm. of that stuff. You, you know what? Along, even, you know? even as an actor going to like different workshops, like it's, it's tough, man, because you have, you know, you have to improvise and you, you have to set yourself real out of your comfort zone. So if you're coming from a different world altogether, I find it really hard. Like you might have had this experience, Ben. On the plays I've worked on, uh, often on like they'll invite you in the first week, like the rehearsal week or the mm. first week, and they start doing those workshops and those games, those oh, warm up yeah. games. They always go, "Oh, come on, come on!" No, it's and I'm awful. always like, oh, it's awful, isn't it? And they're like, "Oh, come, come on, on, come on, in. get involved!" <laughs> yeah. And then you're all in a circle, clapping, shouting names, and throwing many, 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 I'm just thinking like, I that. just want to be anywhere else. And then when they start noticing that, they all kind of like want you to do it more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. that, that's one of the that's like the, one of the exercises that we did. Which I don't know if it seems too bad, but it was like we all stood in a circle. One of the things you had to remember was so this is one level, and that's in an order. People had said a different name, so when you got your name, you had to remember a name that you you, that you said before. So that'd go around, and then they'd introduce one where you, someone walks across uh, the circle and touches you on the shoulder. So you have to go and walk across and touch someone else on the shoulder. So you've got to remember that order. And then they'd introduce a ball that you throw around and you've got to remember the order that you throw the ball. <laughs> and there's not yeah, there's not many people that could remember names, never mind catch a ball. Yeah. So it's chaos then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's chaos like I'm I think I'm all right on the on the on the on the ball kind of yeah. side of it. And then um should be, yeah. Yeah. So that was that that set the the theme really for the rest of <laughs> rest of the two Chaos. and a half hour session yeah. it's a weird thing being a writer in that situation as well even be, when you get beyond the games and that it can be you know you can feel for long periods of time in those rehearsal rooms like a bit of a sort of the proverbial spare watch it away yeah. you know oh my yeah, god so uh, often yeah what's that like feel... watching someone play a part that, you, that you've written do you ever depends if they're any good yeah well I, if it's Paul Fox, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've worked you know. with Foxy on how many projects now? Because uh, there's a Jamie Johnson as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. And then yeah. think about psychopaths. Think about psychopaths. Did a short play of mine this year, Paul. Oh That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our club, yeah, yeah. our club. That, over the the T-shirt that I wore in that was the one that Sarah was having to go. Ella about Why is leaving she? in the thing, yeah. Why is interestingly, she? Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I think that's. I mean, obviously, I don't think I wrote any of the any of the Jamie Johnsons that, that I wrote. You weren't in my. Episode. I don't think so. I, thought, okay. I mean, unfortunately. Um, but um, but no, the thing about Psychopath Paul was in that, and then mm -hmm. he did. We did a short play at JB Shorts in Manchester this year. Called um, our club, yeah. So just just the I keep getting on it for him to write me 
feel more perhaps trying to avoid them to be quite honest yeah but it's It's selfish really moving on to your other play which doesn't star paul fox then um when we're above us get it back (laughs) (laughs) seeing uh seeing the thing about he was too old for that yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) seeing the thing about psychopaths and when we're brothers it's fair to say that mental health is something that you think about in your writing yeah um particularly in the later one what um what sort of things inspired you to to touch upon mental health, particularly mental health for men, for this piece? Funny because it's obviously quite a uh, like f- it's fashionable, the right? What it's in the zeitgeist or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Past few years, you know, yeah, which is good, yeah, yeah. which is great, you know. But I've always heard that, and, and I've always been fascinated by by sort of the male psyche anyway, which is a really broad thing to talk about because any kind of character driven or character based film or play or whatever is going to touch on that, but. But the, the sort of vulnerability of of mm. men and, and how how dangerous masculinity can be. I've kind of grown up seeing that. We probably all have. You know, you grow up with them lads who, who want to be hard men, the genuine hard men who actually, when you scratch below the surface, are probably often quite vulnerable and mm. and are, are are expressing themselves in a certain way. Hide vul- I've always been really interested in all that stuff, and and obviously, like everybody, you know, it seems like everybody you meet, and whether somebody close to them or in the wider circle, that they've They've, they've experienced or they've seen people experience mental health problems right to the point of things like suicide, which is talked about a lot more now as well. So just always had that interest, really. And I know that sounds really... You know, I always try and make the stuff I'm writing, I, I like to try and make it funny and I mm. go for humour and all that as well. You've got to have the lightness with the dark moments as well. People don't... don't I, I don't want to go to the theatre and I don't want to watch stuff on TV that is unremittingly bleak and dark all the time. I just don't... I, I personally don't... Very rare I'll see someone that's that if it's if it's like monotone like that that I'll mm. enjoy it. I don't want to see that myself. I don't want to write it. So thinking about this piece, which hopefully this will be coming out on Wednesday the thirteenth. So there'll be a performance if you're listening now tonight, the night you're listening in Belle Isle in Leeds. Yeah. Um we'll put all the stuff on the intro and we'll put it all out on Twitter. Farsley on Thursday, Castleford Friday, and then the last one is, I think it's in Barnsley and Saturday, yeah, so it's yeah. just the last few few shows of the run. Which one are we getting to, Chris? Friday. Thursday, I think. Thursday. Farsley. I think Farsley would be good, actually. Farsley. Yeah, it's, a yeah. great, it's a great thing they run out there, a great venue that, that Dick's got. Oh, out is there. it that, that new... Um, the Constitution. The Constitution. Ah, that, very that, good. That Dick Bonham programmes, it's part of that. So it'll probably quite, I would guess you'll get a good crowd at that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. it'll be, they sell out before they even know on. I should be saying to me that um, this week that... I think it's because it's in Harrogate some one night this week. Is uh, it I think that's, that'll be it's tomorrow for us. So it'll be the day before the pod comes out. All right, okay. Yeah, because else. I think that one's sold out. And um, Farsley's there's there's a few at this stage now. There's a few tickets left for that, but but yeah, because I I saw it in Bradford, right? And it's one of those that I think if you're a, a bloke, you know a lot of people who kind of like that it kind of raises a few flags that you that we've all got people in our lives we know we probably deal with those sort of things the wrong way um both of them go both of the main characters because it's about friendship a friendship yeah. between two people right from kind of childhood all the way through to yeah their young adulthood basically yeah um but both of them go through their own stuff but particularly one of them um goes takes a kind of darker route and and doesn't open up about it and it kind of i don't want to give things away no um, no but is there people that kind of inspired that character more? Because I, I get the other ones kind of autobiographical in a part. Is that? To a point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To a point. Um, I think to make the story work, we had to sort of play with that. And yeah, yeah. I think he probably learned a 
lot quicker than I did how to get a handle on because I was quite a you know I think I probably struggled with my own sort of you know anxieties and all that and, and did that thing that that the other character in the play does and that a lot of my mates have always done just never wanted to show vulnerability mm. voluntarily would never have volunteered that would never have dreamt of saying god I'm feeling a bit upset or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling anxious I would never whereas whereas I would now you know but went through went through that for a lot of years you know and really always pasting on the smile or mm. or, or or try to put the hard face on or whatever you know and and so it's kind of I've always been interested like, so as, as you start to get to know yourself I started to I've, I've become aware and I've, I think I've become one of those people who people who does through actually saying to a few of my mates in the last few years are you all right you know and I mean, the instinct comes back, the instinctive answer comes back, I'm fine, which is what everybody always says when learning to tease it out of people and like really making it all right for, for people to, yeah, yeah. you know, a couple of times you'll say to your mates, you know what I mean? Listen, if you, if you, if you tell me anything, you know, it's between me and you, I'm not going to go and, because guys are bad like that, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll look for a bit of vulnerability and it becomes entertainment. You know, a few times when I look back, like my circle of friends, and it'll be the same for everybody here, mm. When you think about the things that I don't think I was ever that bad in that respect in terms of but like, you know, really, really edgy humour to the point where it just goes too far and somebody's almost getting bullied to an extent. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing how many guys who are no terrible people, but in this in the sort of search of laddishness and the search of having the fun and being the joker will be absolutely ruthless with their mates. To the point now that as, as you get a bit more mature, I look back and I just think, myself, that's, it's no, it's no good that, you know? It's no good Yeah, I mean, something I've talked about with you, Foxy, before as well, it's kind of like the dynamic of like lads groups. And I was on a stag do recently um, and you can kind of, if you enter a new group, right, you get like a pass for like the first few oh, days. It's very true, yeah. So you get a pass, isn't it? Like if you go to a stag, a stag, um, a stag do with people you don't know, you're kind of free, but you can kind of just observe and see all the yeah. dynamics. Yeah. And who's the one getting ripped and why and what they're ripping them about. But you, it's really interesting you get that kind of, you get that free pass, but you only get it once with that group, isn't it? And then once they know you, you're kind of like... Next time it shots in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true that, you know, it really is true. Yeah, I mean, really that is. that exists. I mean, we have a, I suppose a lot of people have like WhatsApp groups now and it kind of, the, the thing about technology now is that it exists outside your social gatherings. So actually, whereas it might be just like one one afternoon a week at the football. I mean, the, the thing is with my group of friends, it gets passed around and it's always, there's, there's rules basically, there's like unwritten rules. You won't ever say anything about anyone's mum or anyone's wife. You know, do you know what no, I mean? No, there's no, no. There's, 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 yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And it and it gets passed round fairly, you know what I mean? We might yeah, say yeah. something about someone's haircut or, you know, you, you, like you've just <laughs> finished it. Imagine it to me. I just did that unintentionally. <laughs> or, or, have you just finished your shift at Morrison's? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll take one. Yeah, Foxy yeah. <laughs> turned up with a jacket today, which is almost identical to the, green, the no. most fabulous jacket. It's absolutely on brand. There is a guy. Oh, yeah, and to definitely. be fair, <laughs> this came up actually in your actual life when you went to the petrol station, right? So oh, it's yeah, not yeah. even like no, no. It's 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 like the guy who was just sort of serving me. I'd just been to the petrol station. He was like, "Yeah, boss, have you?" Uh, you work at Morrison's, yeah, is any jobs going? I was like, you, you, you're taking piss. I expected, <laughs> I expected Dom to be there behind Pick and Mix going, I pulled him about your jacket. <laughs> but uh, we, we'd just been sat in the boozer with our partners, like ripping him about this jacket all afternoon anyway. 
It's a nice and then, jacket. And then, well, that's debatable. But uh, <laughs> but there's a there's Not a, a new it's not. There's, a, there's a graphic designer sat somewhere in what who could tell you the exact Pantone colour of that green. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's a Morrison's, it Morrison's green. Morrison's yeah. green. Yeah. But there's a name for it on the colour palette. It's got a number or something like that. And I'll given, get, I mean, this is not going to be any Google use it. to anyone who's Google listening Morrison's to the podcast. Green. I'll get. I'll find out what, no, I actually like took a, a snapshot of someone that works at Morrison's and it is <laughs> should we put it, it as this, I'll put it you can add it onto the, yeah, the, the album yeah. the cover yeah, to yeah, the yeah, you can. but to bring my you know back to the serious subject of which we were talking before you started making fun of my jacket you mentioned my hair first I didn't actually I, I just we said talking bad about, about, I thought we were talking about bullying people yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you, I, I just got distracted oh he's got one he's got one Dom's got, got one here <laughs> do, you know, do you know the funny thing is though there is such a fine line eh? because we all know that when you're there is something really good about being that person who's giving everybody a laugh yeah yeah and it's yeah. such an easy mm. line to cross when you know sometimes I'm sure we've all been in that where well, you're in a group and you're thinking to yourself, he's not enjoying this. This yeah. is, not, this is, and but and then some people never seem to it's that mob guy, mentality, isn't it? Some guys yeah. never seem to be able to pick up on that. They never seem to see that thing that, that actually we're crossing the line here, and this person. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's just got a photo of his face and all. See that? And someone working there. The head's quite small in that. I know. Yeah, I took a bit off the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very out of proportion. Yeah. It's like Doctor Evil in a in a Morrison's jacket. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, no, you know, it's that thing where, and I, and I remember when I look back, because some, some of my French groups of mates have been and have been absolutely brutal. And there's been one or two individuals in that group where you just think, you know, you've got no, you know, you don't, you think that's all right. And you, you don't even seem to be able to see when somebody's struggling, when it's no funny, because it's no my my thing with jokes now, it's only funny if everybody's laughing. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? If somebody's having to be the butt of the joke, and that's, it's, I don't like that, me, you know. That, that's like the other rule, right, is if there's if there's three lads and two of them don't know each other, but they know the other lad mutually, they bond by just ripping him, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. That's kind of like how yeah. she kind of, yeah. that's another like unwritten rule. That is true. Um, so and, it and it's great that, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I, I love that kind of, you know, I love that kind of crack, that kind of band, and I it enjoy is, it. It's, when, it's, when it's good, it's mm. great, but it's, it's a fine line that you can tip into sometimes. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You don't know what you know. You don't know what's going on over people's lives and that sort of thing. And I'd be, you know, I'd be mortified if if someone turned around to me because there are points where I kind of think, oh, maybe I've given. You know, I'm talking about lads I've been friends with for twenty years. Mm. Um, I'd upset me a couple of times. I'd feel, oh, I don't really care too much about that. But <laughs> if uh, if any of my pals came and said, you know what, it's just I'm having a hard time. I'd be mortified. I'd put my arm around and I'd say, look, you know, shut up, you daft sod. <laughs> Uh, but I would be there, you know what I mean? But but I remember I had a driving test last week and I just before the test, I got a message. It's Paul Fox. Ah, oh, Paul Fox. He knows my driving instructor. Yeah. And it I said... I in touch with him, didn't I? Yeah, it said, just so you know, I passed first time. Good luck. No, it was to give you a bit of encouragement. That's mm. not... You know, it's, it's, the, kind, that, it's it? the kind yeah. of thing. Well, that's border like yeah. it's, that's it's border the kind like, of thing. Yeah. It's a bit nasty. Oh, I want to be like Foxy. He passed first time, and that was what I was, was looking for. It was a motivational for. thing. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. To Did it work? No, I failed, yeah. Well, one major seven months. No, the thing is, you didn't time. fail because life, you're learning lessons every day. So, I learned, you, so you learn yeah, something. Yeah. So you learn, go. don't go across two lanes in a roundabout. Is that what you failed on? Important one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All the best Gosh. do that, then. Oh, I did that, yeah. First time. I don't know what I did second time, but third time I passed anyway. But yeah, no, I appreciated that message, actually. It was, it's all right. Yeah. Do you not, think, nice do you think so? Have, have I crossed the line there? 
Would you say? <laughs> nah, I don't. Think I don't. So. It's no, your no, laugh. No, 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 that's no, a good no. laugh. That's yeah. a good laugh. Yeah, yeah. And that the thing about laugh. your hair, which I think it's, you know, I think I think the seventies <laughs> were one of the best. So you've got piling on it now. <laughs> the seventies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was seventies, one of my favourite decades. Yeah, yeah. Where were we? I can't remember. Bullying. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about the what? That's Bullying. an example. Yeah, yeah. That's we're just, just giving an example. example. Just giving an example. Yeah. There, so, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. get back to. Um, it's get, funny. Some people get away with it more than others. Is really some people do. It's, it's really, one person could say something to somebody, and it would be a different thing for the other. You know. Yeah, yeah. But then, mm. a group of mates. I mean, I, as you get older, I mean, I'm 43 now. Yeah, I, I spend less time in big groups of lads than I used to, but I did through my. Certainly through my twenties, yeah, yeah. often Saturday nights were there'd be twelve, there'd be fourteen. You'd go on holiday, there'd be ten, mm. there'd be eight. You know all of that kind of business. And holidays were the big one, weren't yeah. they? Building up to it, and then the events on it kind of became the banter for the next year. Absolutely, for a lot oh, of groups and yeah. stuff like. Yeah, yeah, or if you played yeah. like I played in football teams, yeah, and yeah. That, you know, and everybody was there was different characters within that, but. You played quite a high level of football because I played football with you. Decent football. This is when yeah. I first met you, actually. Yeah. Was, um, Did you? I played decent football. I yeah, very good football. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've run rings around you a few times. Hey, you've seen the back so. of my shirt a few times, boy. Um, but, uh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> I just streaked off in the dish. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On your skateboard. <laughs> What's a skateboard? <laughs> you, should, you should think about skateboarding. I think you're that low centre of gravity, I think it'd be impossible for you to fall off. <laughs> <laughs> play, play, play football on a skateboard it's not yeah, fair yeah. it doesn't even make sense you know what I mean he still gets that reaction there's no context it's the most random thing ever I'm gonna a 43 year old man yeah, yeah, yeah. Skateboard. what thing is gonna, he's imagined uh, that yeah. you know what I mean yeah. that's what worries you some of the stuff that goes through his head is just weird I, I wonder what else sort of scenarios he what imagines <laughs> yeah. being something oh you all, so, all sorts of stuff <laughs> yep uh, mm, yeah Major yeah, anyway, league. moving on. Not, yeah. not like in football changing rooms and that, there's always, obviously there's always different characters who have to fulfil different roles. Yeah, yeah. And inevitably there is, I mean, when I think back to some of the, there was, I remember there was a guy I used to play football with and he was, he was actually, when I think back now, it was amazing really because he was one of these guys, he was a self-confessed, if that's the right, virgin, you know, he'd never, hmm. but uh, he was, and he was really religious, this lad, but he, the, at the time, Britney Spears was claiming to be a virgin as well, and that that became his nickname, Britney. Oh. <laughs> In the dressing room, that's, that's what they started. I, I say they, we, everybody called him Britney, you know, and we were like 21, 22 at that point, maybe a wee bit older. And you look back, you think back, like, that's terrible, really, you know, mm. I mean, the guys. How old were they? We were in we were in our mid twenties. We we're about twenty four, twenty five actually. We were about twenty four. So did you ever did he, did he ever actually break his duck? Well, he's married with kids now. Oh well, obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Brilliant. He, he waited till he, he waited till he was married, and then he, he did he? Yeah, well, that was the whole point. Yeah. Oh, was it through choice? Well, or was he just really ugly? He didn't get till he was twenty seven. He'd waited that long, and I'm bored of this now. I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't be bothered waiting. Oh no, I didn't know if it was a religious so, decision or was it whether it was just sort of like really bad with the ladies sort of thing. I think it was a bit of both, to be fair. <laughs> oh, but, right, okay. No, I think it was. It was primarily uh, he, his religious belief was that he wanted to wait until he got married. I look back now and I really respect. Uh, do you know what? He, he took it. He took that so well. Yeah. But he never. He, I mean, I, I, I guess it maybe. Maybe it didn't because you had this strong religious faith that I've never had. But he—that was just part. Of the, that was just part of the the, the crack. Just was, on because that reminded me of a post you put up about a year ago. I think it was now about nicknames. You put a well funny uh, post up, yeah. and there were some unbelievable ones. Like the one which always stuck out with me was someone who said, "Oh, we have a mate 
in our friendship group and we call him the Olympic Torch. Yeah, because his message never lets them go out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can never go out. <laughs> no, I was like, that was, some crackers There were some brilliant one. ones in that. My yeah. favourite one in that was, uh, was the guy who, the, his mate was called, his nickname was Two Soups because his name was Campbell Baxter. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I thought that was that's great. a class no, one, is that? There's a few crackers oh, that's in that. One. That's good. Steve, just yeah. thinking about the whole like, because obviously your job is to be in a changing room with with a group of guys, and team morale and spirit are really important. So you want to have that kind of jokey banter, but then you also, you, you I guess you sometimes got to look out for younger lads or make sure it's yeah. never. It's solidarity, isn't it? I remember like talking about English stuff. I remember doing some English language project and seeing like in a textbook the idea that. Um, like banter and 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 all that is is actually solidarity between between guys and and it were it were about a rugby team and obviously I were uh, doing me levels and playing um, rugby at the same time so you can't you kind of lend an eye then you kind of look at it a bit closer but yeah for sure like it's it's probably it's a saviour sometimes like today's mm. the first day of preseason I think it was a pretty tough session outside and um, it's just like. You just break out, whether you break out into to ripping someone or to having a laugh with someone and it just keeps the day going. It just keeps like, you might have an interval, you might have an hour break until the next tough session and it keeps the mood light and it keeps everyone on the toes and and it, and it whether you like it or not, people do get closer from it. You mm-hmm. know, it's probably a measure of how close you are if you can rip into someone, you know, like Definitely. one of your mates. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's the theme in Definitely. the play in some ways, isn't it? Almost like that. There's a kindness in a lot of the like banter and absolutely, and I think I mean I remember reading an article about this somewhere where that's how particularly guys who are maybe a wee bit like emotionally you know closed that is how you tell somebody that you like them that you you know you, the people that you often the people that you'll rip as long as you as no you're not crossing that line yeah but the ones that your first instinct to to rip is they're the people that you probably like the most yeah oh thanks you, paul you know yeah it's all right yeah 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 <laughs> apart from in that one case but paul likes a lot of people to be <laughs> yeah, fair it yeah, seems like but, no yeah. do you know what but but for me it, it comes from a place of i mean i've just always liked laughing and messing about and just generally making people laugh and it comes from that place of wanting to not thinking i want to sort of like pick up on what you're most vulnerable about it's about just making people in the group laugh mm, and yeah. you know there are different you know, sometimes it, it, it's at the expense of someone's, you know, what whatever. But like those those lines, the, the certainly lines that I would that I would never cross. You know, there's things that I'd never that I'd never say. Yeah, but um, it's it's really interesting because when I was writing when we were brothers, I was thinking a lot about the, and I came to this conclusion of like what you'd, what I would call like the four pillars of masculinity. Really, when you're growing up, like where I grew up in that, there was ways of being a man where you would get respect as a man. I'm talking about when you're a child here, yeah. but as a when you're in your teens and one was being good at football, you know, or, or any sport. Being good at sport, you'll get man points for that. Mm-hmm. Making people laugh and you'll get man points for that. Being able to fight, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a good fighter, you get man points and being successful with women. Yeah, yeah. They have the four things mm-hmm. and the things that men will hide behind in terms of I've known a lot of guys in my life who it can be a curse in a way being being really good at any of those things or being really good. My my friend who took his life was an absolute alpha male, and he was actually in various ways he was he was one of these guys who was really good at all of those mm. things. A lot of guys will maybe be really good at one of those things. He was one of these guys who was really good at all of those things, and I think as a result of that, he was able to kind of hide behind that a little bit. 
And I mean, I've had mates before, you know them, you know them lads who, who they'll go out and they will get so much attention for women that they could, they can, they could basically end up with a good look, a different good looking woman every night. Mm. Lads like you, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Feel. I mean, I don't want to say anything, but <laughs> but, uh, but not like being serious. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I remember a, a pal of mine. You know, I remember like really talking to him about this one night. You know, because he was just sleeping with so many women all this, and he was like sort of held up as a hero for this. Mm. And then he just realised it was just too easy for him. It was really unfulfilling for him, and actually, it was a insecurity that was driving it as well. You know, and. He just never, he, he could never really settle down properly because there was always someone else out there. That he, it's like a compulsion. And I think lads are really good at fighting as well. You know, it's a, uh, you know, it's an instinct. You can just mm. solve the problem. If you've got a big punch, mm. you can finish it quick. And that, that's no way. Again, you can hide behind that. You can, it can stop you from confronting. These it. are kind of negative pillars, then, do you think? Or, well, or it depends how, like, think, humour is obviously a good thing, right? But as long as you're not hiding behind it. I or, think people hide behind, you know, it's like yeah, tears yeah. of a clown thing, right? Mm, yeah, you yeah. know, I think people hide behind humour as well a lot. And it, It's interesting that you yeah. say that, and I wonder if that's, like, something, obviously those four pillars of masculinity that you speak about, and they are obviously sort of, like, kudos to whichever sort of group you, you belong to. But I wonder if that extends to sort of, like, socially anyway, because I know... There's, there's girls that I know were certainly, obviously, like with the humour thing, yeah. Mm. But just like with the, if you look at the the gypsy community, I, w- I read something the other day, and um, they were just saying about how the hardest man on the site would be sort of like sought after by oh, by, by yeah. whichever girls, and that's it. Doesn't matter what you look like. It was the the hardest guy was the most sought after guy that the girls wanted to get with. Because fighting's such a big bit, but for women it's different because women would never get really and in certain places they might but you'd never get women points for being good at fighting really no, you know what really. i mean no, no really no and there's no, no in the same way as you would yeah. as a no. man you know and, and and a woman who sleeps around loads gets branded well, as well that's it's funny a it works. it's way, almost a neg- negative yeah, isn't it? If, you know? i suppose even within women's circles if you look at those four pillars if you were successful women you'd be called a slag if you were if you were good at fighting and you fight with, with a lot of girls, you'd be called rough. Mm. Yeah, and I think a lot of men are really intimidated by funny women. Anyway, you know. Oh if a, yeah, yeah. If yeah. a woman was really, really, that wouldn't be seen as being a a sort of desirable feminine quality. I really, I mean, I would I would see that personally. Yeah, I would, yeah. But I think traditionally, generally, it wouldn't be. And mm. interesting thing I noticed on Facebook as well, like the thing for women is is being a mum is the thing. Like any. Any slight against your ability as a mother oh, is yeah, their yeah, thing. Yeah. I've seen that before on Facebook. Anybody hurts my bearings or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know? Mm. And that's 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 a woman. And I think women beat themselves up sometimes about not being a good enough mum, about letting their kids down in any way or whatever. I think that's what a lot of women will really struggle about. And and and, and I, I don't mean all the time. I mean, I'm not, I'm not generalising massively, mm. but well, I am generalising by saying that. But I have noticed that, that they they will t- take more care. Certainly women I've grown up with that I know, you know, but, but that thing, it's different for men, you know, that, that humor thing that, mm. and it is, it's how you, it's how you, 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 you get respect for being funny and you get, you, you it's a desirable thing to be funny. Oh yeah. Man, yeah. Yeah. You know? We were talking, I was actually talking about this, uh, <coughs> with Red Ladder this morning. Um, mm. I'm writing a sister piece of life and soul dealing with, um, some of the issues young teenage girls face. Mm. Um, because the rising anxiety disorders among, young girls is a lot of um body image self-harm yeah. that's got to um, be a, a, and I was just, a, a as, as a result of social media yeah and i was gonna well. say because you've got um two young daughters oh yeah kind of yeah. getting towards that age now where mm. um is, is that something you worry about like massi- screen time or massively yeah, massively yeah. i mean i think everyone's guilty of being a slave to their phone to some extent i know i've had 
I've had to have words with myself. I'll be watching something. I'll have the phone in my hand and I'll mm. just be like, what, what are you doing? And I give my kids such a hard time, but I'm also sympathetic to the fact that I'm guilty of it too. But I mean, <clears throat> they're on the phones all the time. They've got, they've both got Instagram now. I mean, it's heavily policed and the closed accounts and everything, but, the people that they like to watch on TV and the music that they listen to, they're these beautiful young women that are sort of airbrushed within an inch of their life. Mm. And I have to constantly remind, I remind the two of them that look, whereas these are, you know, it's not real. That's not real. It isn't real. And whereas they're kind of inspirational role models to an extent and the successful women. And that's, that's fantastic. But the image that they portray, Mm. you know, they have personal trainers, they have dietitians and they're very, very thin. A lot of these girls and I reinforce as often as possible. I'm like, look, you know, you don't have to worry about looking like that. And I, and I think it sinks in, but I think we're all guilty ourselves of, of having that vanity and thinking, Oh, I just maybe need to lose a few pounds and you know, I'm looking a little bit tired around the eyes but I'm saying that's that not a always fo- vanity, though, right? Like, if you feel like you look tired behind the eyes, or you, you feel like, um, you know, I, I'd feel like oh, maybe it's my body saying, I need yeah, to yeah. Get I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking and... as a 40 year old man now. I kind of, you know, okay, catch yeah, myself yeah. in the mirror and I think, Jesus Christ, you know, what went yeah. wrong? <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> you didn't always feel like that. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just mean that's that's like vanity manifesting itself as like an age thing, and you kind of think, oh, wow, what's, you know. But it is different. It's really interesting because it is different for blokes as well because there is a lot of pressure on blokes but it does seem like for young girls particularly mm. your your girls you're oh, yeah. 13 15 and like my 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 partner's she's got young daughters you're mm-hmm. nine and five and even you can i mean i've not spent a huge amount of time with them at this stage but you can already see it a little bit in in the young girls that they're that they're conscious of all i think from a very young age and i think it is it's definitely worse for girls, isn't it? Oh yeah, and now and now with the emergence of of social media, they have access to it twenty four hours mm. a day. You know, it's it's literally on, it's on loop, and mm. you know you try and police it as much as possible. But you know, short of locking them up for the rest of their lives, well, it's kind of you know it's very hard to prepare for these sort of like technological advancements, and often when they come along, it's amazing, and people don't really think about some of the negative effects, and then ten fifteen years later. Yeah. You mm. kind of look back and think, yeah. actually, is it great that our kids are? are well, this is the first in... generation now yeah. that yeah, have grown up, grown with, up it. with it from pretty much day dot. You know, we've got kids on iPads, and obviously most parents will manage that. But these are the first generation that have had that. I mean, I mobile, I, I sold mobile phones when I was, I think I was nineteen ninety eight. I started ninety seven. I started that job, so I was like twenty two when I got that job. So I, I can remember being a young adult before. Yeah. And certainly, yeah. well, well before smartphones, but before Same. any kind of mobile yeah, phone. Yeah. I can remember having to go and meet your mate in a certain oh, yeah, player. If you missed time, him, that's yeah. it. You were done. Yeah. You know that was it. And and it's I will because I've got my son's fourteen now, and he's, he's he seems to have quite a healthy attitude to social media, and that he's on Instagram and he's on Snapchat and all these things, but he's not really interested in posting. He likes his mate stuff just because it gives him a wee yeah. boost, but he's not really that. He doesn't feel that pressure, whereas. You can tell, I mean, I, I've looked, you know, when they get tagged in Instagram, so oh, I occasionally yeah, yeah. look and just see what he's been tagged in, you know, and it's never very much. He's not really active on it, but I see some of his mates and you can just kind of tell that they're feeling the pressure of putting themselves out there to try and get a few likes on their posts. Oh, that's that, it. You that's, know? It's, all, it's all about the likes, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, all about sort yeah. of like, you know, the, the best looking kid and the funniest kid and that kind of thing. Now that translates, that online profile now, yeah. oh, I got, and you know what? 
I hold my hands up and I've kind of been guilty of it myself. You put a photo on for whatever reason, a couple of days later, you look, 150 people like that. And there is like a little thing that goes off in your head, you know, like a little bit of... But they say it's yeah. like a, it's like a, it's like yeah. a drug response. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a chemical it's response, same, isn't it? Yeah. The same um, neuropathways. Yeah, it? yeah. It's like gambling, like you scroll down on that feed to refresh it. Well, and it's that's like, mad, you don't know yeah. if you're going to get a good reaction, a bad reaction. Yeah. You don't know how many likes you're going to get. It's completely it, unknown. It is. You, it is. And that's not saying there isn't a healthy relationship you can have with social media. There no, is. you can, but it's difficult. I think the scales are weighed in favour of like, a negative experience yeah, and you know definitely. and that's the thing there, there's us saying that as like 40 men in our 40s you know what I mean and, and even then I know myself that at times social media is a negative thing in my life and I have to be really hard but I don't know how you can manage that when you're 13, 14 and it's, yeah, it's hard enough being 13, 14 anyway mm, and they've yeah. got no perspective or like yeah. no. reasons for why they're feeling like that and they've not nothing else to kind of put against it I would Absolutely, like to compare yeah. I, I, must, yeah. I must admit I, I have times where <clears throat> I'll be on social media all the time and I literally, some night, I've, I've had nights where I've kind of thought, I've literally spent a good couple of hours here pretty much just scrolling through, putting it down for five minutes, going back and looking at the same thing and the feeling of self-loathing I had for myself, I thought I could have read a book, I could have, you but know. But the thing uh, is, see, see when you're a writer at home on your own, it's oh social God, media yeah. is, is, it's the best thing in the world and it's the worst thing in the world because yeah. you can waste the best part of a day online looking at stuff and you, and you do hate yourself at the end of the day for it but at the same time because it's quite a solitary job it is lovely to be able to interact with people mm, as well sometimes yeah, yeah, during yeah. the day I bet you, find, you bet you could find like a real like perler as well like you, you guys might find inspiration from that one article or that Definitely. one kind of thing that you've yeah. never have heard about ever if, if social media weren't there well the so. thing one of the things I find well, that's the gambling aspect as well isn't it that mm. might be one thing that really catches my attention and yeah. inspires me to write somewhere but you know something you're right with that Steve, because sometimes if you've, it's when you're doing the really meaningless, empty stuff online, like looking mm. at photos of people's holiday that you've never seen them since I'm you were you, I was glad you said year holiday old, you know? then. I was wondering what he was going to say, Ben. <laughs> you know, then people that you don't even know them, but you find yourself <laughs> looking through their holiday album, you're like, why about this? Yeah. No, no, I've you know? never done that. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> you do know them. You're obviously friends, but you know. What, but what, not what like are you talking people, about, Ben? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just aimlessly looking at stuff. And I think, when you have, you know, I know myself, I and it's a really hard thing to, as a writer. It's a really hard thing, discipline-wise, to to manage that. And I I know myself. My best days are the days when I feel like I've been in control of it, and it's a control yeah. thing. It's like, oh yeah, I feel like I've worked when I said I was going to work, and I've used my time online sensibly and responsibly and constructively and I've got to the end of the day and I've achieved something and I've written X amount of pages and it's been all right mm. and I can turn the thing off but there are with the best will in the world there are days mm. where and especially if you've not got a, that's a good thing about working on on a show like Corey for example because mm. you've always got a deadline and you've got structure mm. and what I'm doing now which is really try to develop a lot of my own stuff or I'm working on you know in the last year I've worked on two other shows which aren't long running shows so you've still got the deadlines but you might have quite long in between deadlines you might have time for your you've got that time that the lucky man one of them or lucky man was one of them yeah lucky man. stanley's yeah. just died by the way you know Has he really? yeah we just saw that oh, about an hour really? ago oh wow um, i didn't know he's that the creator of the lucky man for the people listening it's just, it's just lucky man it's not the lucky man it's yeah. just lucky man in it ben yeah. i think it is just lucky <laughs> man. yeah 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 i thought so <laughs> i uh, i didn't know that about stanley i mean stanley wasn't heavily involved he created the show and he did his custody cameo that he does in everything he's involved yeah, yeah. in. But uh, he wasn't like 
editorially massively involved in it other than setting up the template of it. But Lucky Man was one of those shows, yeah. Would you say that's probably the biggest thing you've done, having your own, because it was your own one hour episode or? It was a big thing career wise, but I, it's funny because I think, I think probably Corey was, was, um, was mm. the biggest thing really because it's an institution and it's Corey and it's, it's, they're different. They're really different. It was a massive career thing for me to go and get, get a, an hour of a primetime, big budget, glossy show like that it was great to get under the belt. And it, and it ultimately went really well. It was a tough, challenging process, but they're, I, they're just different animals really, mm. aren't they? That's it. Definitely. Do you ever find yourself, I know, um, obviously coming from a, a working class background and then sort of studying late, and I've not studied myself. I always kind of find myself thinking I'm coasting. I'm going to get a tap on the shoulder at some point, and someone's going to say, "Oh, well, that's it. You know, you kind of that's as far as you're going to go." You've been oh, fo- yeah, you've been imposter syndrome. You kind of been... Everyone kind of has that. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially yeah. in this industry, when you have to, you have to rely on your oh, own self confidence. I suppose getting to the level that you have done now, having wrote for Corey and wrote for Lucky Man, and you kind of, I suppose, them shackles must have come off a little bit, and you kind of think, actually, I can pretty much, you know, the writing world's my oyster. I don't know if I'd say feel like it's my oyster. I do feel like I've earned my, mm. I've earned the right Describes to be where I am. I feel like I've, and I don't feel, you know, I feel feel reasonably confident in what I, what I do and what I can do, and I feel like I deserve the opportunities that I'm getting. So I kind of feel like that, but you, but you never get complacent with it. You know, you've kind of, you are always. I mean, particularly in TV shows, your writers get sacked left, left, right, and centre. You know, it mm. happens and. And you're only ever one draft away from that. And I suppose so, yeah. Do you know, the, the thing about being a writer, I think, in that world is the, and I say this a lot, the skills required to be good at that job, to be have the empathy and the sensitivity and the imagination and all of those things are actually the opposite. You need to survive in the industry because it can be pretty ruthless and pretty brutal at times, you know. That's TV of, specifically, isn't it? TV's mainly TV, yeah. yeah, TV's, yeah. TV's ruthless. They're ruthless in terms of, it's getting better, but the way they've treated writers historically in this country mm. has been like Pete, you wouldn't believe how how much it is just right, boom, you're gone. You mm-hmm. know, and I, I remember being at a Corey, there was a Corey um writers past and present do we had, and one of the writers who organized it, she'd got like it was about 50 writers in the room. And she was like, you know, as a joke, hands up any writer in this room who's been sacked off a show. And I think pretty much everybody had been sacked at least once. Off the show, off, off, off a, a show, show oh, off right, any okay. show, off any TV show, because it just happens just all the time. Just part of the course. Just if, mm. if, 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 if it's not going right, sack the writer. Mm. And that's what, you know, it's never, it's never sacked the producer, it's sacked the writer. Well, or very rarely sacked the producer. So it is pressure. But no, I mean, I, I think for me, my, like, I always feel funny when I get referred to as being from a working class background, because I'd like to think of myself as being from a working class background. But the truth is, I mean, I obviously, I was very much, my mum's was from a working class background, mm. but, but ended up with a very middle class job through through like studying and working ah, hard right. towards that. My dad came here from another country and studied. And, and by the time I was sort of like 12, we definitely moved into a, quite a middle class house. And we had a kind of middle class life, but I feel like that my work and my sensibility and my writing and that is still. Most of my mates are guys that I grew up from when I was really young, and like grew up in a council scheme as we call them in Scotland. Mm. And I started my life in that, so in that sense, I absolutely. But I sometimes feel like a fraud when I say I'm when I when I when I. And it's, so it's no it's no a case of me not wanting to identify as working yeah. class. I do, 
I really strongly do, but mm. I sometimes feel like it's not quite right to just accept that label. It's difficult you know to, I mean? to, to sort of quantify about class anyway. It's like a suppose it's, it's a, a belief, really is thing, a belief yeah. system, or is it where you've come from, or whatever? Mm. I mean, I, I think that I think the I feel really sad that we don't make brilliant work, or we don't make as much. Very rarely we make brilliant working class. The, the telly I grew up loving, like mm. if we just the black stuff and, and off and all that kind of stuff, and we seem to have. We seem to de depict people in a certain way now, and a lot of it's gone over to like reality TV or really bad, horrible documentaries that really focus on, on the and, poverty, and, porn yeah, and all that, that sort poverty. Of thing, yeah, yeah. Because where I grew up, you know, I mean, I grew up when I was born. I was born on what would have been regarded at the time as, as probably the worst, like estate as you'd call it, scheme up there. And I lived there a very short time. I mean, we moved just up the road to a place called Tulloch, which. Which was brilliant, you know. All my mates' dads were all like my best mates grew up with one of their dads worked in the railway, one was a one was a joiner, and one worked in the printers. And it was very much a sort of solid working class, brilliant place, you know, it was great. Um so as as like a mixed race kid in a really white world, I always felt like I was caught in the middle of everything all the time. Mm. And it was always like metaphor. My own dad bought my own dad gave up the right to buy their council house, refused to buy it in principle, wow. refused to buy it in principle, moved out. Bought a house right between two housing schemes oh, on wow. the road called the Creef Road. So they moved. To, so I was twelve. We moved to quite a nice part of town in a nice little cul-de-sac, and it was very middle class. But the house they initially bought was right on the edge of the same place I'd always grown up. So I still had all my same mates. They are still, but I was the one who lived in a slightly bigger house than everybody, and I was the one who was different. You know, like I was different colour for everybody. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I had this big bought house, which. Which actually, if I'd been given the choice, I would rather have stayed where I was, so I could just be the same. Well, it's your mates, and it you know. I like, I liked actually. I liked over there. I liked because because the, the crack was good. It was good. It was good fun. Mm. You know, what I mean, that was my thing. So, you mentioned, yeah. um, and you know, feel free to not talk about this if you don't want to. But you mentioned you lost one of your friends um, to suicide mm. growing up. Um, was it someone you like you knew from from that young age or? It was because I, I actually did know uh, I did know him when I was really, but he was he was four years older than me. Yeah, yeah. And he came from the same areas, and he moved away, and I never saw him for years until I was in my early twenties, and we started playing football together, and uh, and through that for a for a few years, um, we 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 were really close, and then I kind of I moved away, um, I left uh, I left Perth, went away abroad, did the stuff abroad. I was living in Edinburgh, but he was always a good mate. But we had a we had a period of time there where where I really started to get to know and started to see that, that there was struggle there. So you could see some of the like chinks in the in his exterior and yeah, in the armor and and, and yeah. And, and looking back, did you are there things you could you could see that were kind of like showing how bad he could get? Or I don't think I certainly looking back now I can understand that, but at the time mm. I didn't really and. It's, it's only as I've got older that I've looked back, I've started to understand him a wee bit more. Because um, he was, he really was like a proper alpha male, you know, he really he was a, he was a big lad, he was really athletic and he had what would be a, a good job in, in our circles, you know, he, mm. he was, he worked for the water board as an engineer, you know, he had, a, he had an Audi Quattro, you know what I mean, he had a good motor and he always, you know, he was one of these guys always, always had good looking girlfriends, was really funny. You know, it was really, really funny. And was a really, but I had a real sensitive side to him as well. It was really kind and was really good to me at the time. And I was, you know, he was a kind of lad to, you know, when I, I would, 
I would always try and look after myself and everything, but but Lee was on a different level in that respect to me, you know, and he was one of them where he would he would back you up to the hilt if anything was ever happening like that. Mm. And he was capable. Really, like one of the one of the, like in that because where I grew up and probably where you grew up as well, that's how you were judged as to, you know, who 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 how could you are, yeah. who could fight. You mm. know what I mean? And and there was certain there was always certain lads who were Untouchables, on yeah, yeah, yeah. The top level lads, you know what I mean? And he was definitely one of them. You know, he was absolutely one of them. Did, did you know him right up until uh, until he took his own life? Or I, did you... I hadn't seen him for a few months before. And um, a few people I know who were close at the time, I remember at his funeral speaking to another lad who was an acquaintance of mine, a really good mate of his, and he was saying, and, and you, you feel guilty then, you know, because I, I don't think I was as equipped to to maybe help him as I would be now, mm. you know, because I was, a, I was sort of, this is just before I moved to Leeds, so that was about 25, 26 at this time. And uh, in fact, no, it was right, it was a year before I moved, it was 2001, so it was a year I turned 26. And uh, and I spoke to a few lads who who were closer to him at the end and they they were saying it was, you know, it was, they, they knew, they knew someone was, that you know, that there was, that it wasn't, that he wasn't, someone wasn't right, you know. Because mm, I mean, it's it's one of the things. It's, it's the reason I wrote the Life and Soul as well. I'm sure it's one of the things behind Mentality, Steve, why you set it up. And I think this year when they released the stats, they are um, suicides among men are slightly decreasing for the first time in a while. Unfortunately, suicides among women have stayed the same. Um, it's still disproportionately a, an issue which affects men, but um, it's still, like you said, hopefully the more conversations and work and things in the past few years which which have been around the topic have hopefully been behind that kind of small decline um and there's some great organizations out there like andy's man club and um mentality as well obviously the name check ourselves we're hoping to do some more retreats and stuff this I saw, year i saw a similar sort of group when i was working down in south wales <coughs> I, was, I was training at a gym and just on the way out on a notice board there was a a notice for a a, a man's group if you mm. like and I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you would never have seen any such sort of group exist outside, you know, some kind of professional office, like a, you know, like a therapist or something like that. It was just on a notice board in the gym. That Andy's man's, man's club, I have know a few guys who have engaged with that. And it's mm. my, my a couple of pals of mine, when I, when I was writing, when we were brothers, their dad ended up, there's a big article about him in the local paper. And he was a, he was a guy, he is a guy who, He's in his sixties, you know, and he'd—he was a proper man's man as well, and he'd sort of came out, as it were, about having these struggles and about being really depressed, and he'd started going to that, and and it was really interesting to see. I mean, I don't know the guy well, but you could tell it was almost like, you know, in the structure of a film, there's that point in the character journey in a film when they experiment with this new way of being, and that's what it seemed to be like because he was doing articles in the paper and he was online talking, it was like he wanted to talk about, it was like maybe he'd, he'd held this in for all his life until he was a reasonably like mature guy in mm. his, certainly his 50s, possibly even his 60s. And then all of a sudden it had all come out and he was like really, and I thought that was really interesting how historically so many guys will have taken that with them to their grave mm. and never once mm. shown a bit of vulnerability or never once let off steam in a way that women are usually much better at they might have a wee cry occasionally if they're feeling a bit stressed out of that and it's not a it's not a weakness thing it's just a a coping with life thing that i'm upset i i 
I let it out, I feel a little bit better, I crack on. You know, women, women, the women I've known who occasionally will, 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 will openly, you know, cry in that. It's not like they crumble and the life stops and everything. It's just like, right, I've got that out, crack mm. on. And, and, and it's actually a strength thing, you know what I mean? I think, you know. Yeah, I think it's incredibly strong to be in touch with how you're actually yeah. feeling. Um, yeah. And it's, I think there is a shift around, uh, like, like we've talked about this, Paul, but there's some things that we both do now that, you know, years ago you probably wouldn't consider. I think there's far more men who are interested in things like oh, yeah. breathing, meditation, yeah, Wim yeah, Hof, yeah. some of the cold exposure stuff. and Yeah, um, as, a, as, a, as an alternative, because obviously there's, I mean, not that I would ever class myself as suffering with depression, but there's certain points in, in my life where things feel like they're weighing heavy on me, you're struggling to pay the mortgage, you know, your kids are upset at school, um, you're not earning enough money, you feel like you're sort of like directionless in life. And these are sort of standard feelings that I think most people experience. And, you know, as maybe you know, as a 20-year-old and as a 25-year-old, I was still sort of like quite carefree. But as you get older and you're sort of like ticking off their milestones, you kind of think, I was just talking to my friend just the other day and he was saying, oh, I've only got about 15 grand to pay off my mortgage and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, God, I've got about 100 grand to pay off mine. And, and then all of a sudden the sort of like mm. weight just started to wear down. Mm. And I've got loads of great things going on in my life. And... But it's interesting how, you know, I wouldn't consider myself um, as ever having suffered with depression, but there have been certain points where I've, I've felt down. I've thought, God, and it's maybe lasted for two, three days, you know. Um, and like the, the things that you mentioned, like meditation and, you know, breathing, 10, 15 years ago, you would be laughed out of, you know, your you group mm. or the club or whatever. Yeah, talking but, of banner, you would have been getting so much. Oh, you would, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, still yeah. still now, I mean, within yeah, my yeah. group of friends, you know, I'm sort of like laughed at because I, I, I meditate and stuff like that. And even when I hear myself say it now, I still sort of think, oh God, that's, it doesn't sound strange now, but I still have to sort of pause for a second and think, oh God, that's something that I do. And it and it does help. It's a, it's, I think it's a nice thing as you get older that you can, if, if like, it sounds like you have, I know I have that, I know I care a lot less about what other people think about me because I know what I need to do to, to be mm. all right. But on the flip side of that, I think when you are perceived as being really successful and having this great, and social, this comes back to the social media thing again because we're all guilty of doing it and you put all the best bits up there and, you, and people don't see. I had a period probably end of last year, beginning of this year, just as I was finishing writing when we were brothers actually, but I was really quite low, I think, you know, and I'd, had a bit of a health thing going on mm. and and I'd really I'd, I'd taken on too much work not not really by desire it just happened that way that a lot of things happened at once and everybody around you is like oh you're doing great you're so successful and and amazing all the stuff you're doing and that's and 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 that can be really hard when having to like because you, you you don't want to burst their bubble and say actually I'm feeling well, yeah. a bit you know I'm feeling yeah. a bit low yeah. and you must you must because you've got a sort of quite a high profile thing and it is kind of like and particularly when it's a when you when you're a you're an athlete and all that kind of stuff and it's purely resource driven as yeah. well isn't it? yeah mm. and i think carl watkins was on um i think it was the second second test england versus new zealand and he's injured at the minute um but he was talking about a time not when he's actually been injured but when 2015 when we won the treble um talking about his time with depression like and it's it's completely opposite to what you'd think. You know, you're winning a treble and mm. yeah. all the results are going your way. You're winning. You and you're playing so really well. Playing well. really well, killing it. But he, he was struggling then. So I think conversations like this alone, 
you know, people go into Andy's Man Club, whether it's for their reason, to help other people there, but they're like, they're almost like sharpening their tools while they go in there to help themselves, but help other people. Yeah, yeah. Continue these conversations. And that's like a, it's a, it's a broad perspective in a way, this, but it just helps guys to kind of know what's going on more. Like, Cal's not really had that reason for why he was depressed in 2015, but Fox has mentioned there, someone might feel directionless. Mm-hmm. You know, they might feel pressure from the mortgage. It's like, you're not, you're not, a, you're not, you're not an alien to feel that. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, you're not a stranger yeah. to anything to feel yeah. that. So I think that's why we, you know, we, we consistently and, and um, we continue to, to have these conversations, but just opening different doorways for people and, and to, to understand it, I guess, a, a little bit more. Um, but yeah, but steering it back to sport, it's results driven. So like last year we, we lost a lot. We lost a lot of games. And, um, from from when we've been young, when I've been young as a as a, as a sportsman, losing's not good. Not good. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Losing's bad for you. That's what I, that's the saying that I had from last year. Losing is bad for you. Um, so I think as a as a professional sportsman, you always want to win. But to kind of have that toolkit really for you know when things aren't going that right, um, and for when things you know whether it's on the field, off the field, aren't going right. You can you kind of know yourself enough to to make sure you get in that groove and, and get into that that zone that works for you. Because um, because stress and, and all that sort of stuff it it, it can outweigh the resilience at times. Oh, but yeah, anyone's yeah. resilience. Um, mm. So it's, it's it's good to kind of know the best methods and and for, alongside mentality, I've I've um, I've looked in depth at that and you know I'd like to feel for, for some episodes that when we're losing, when we're even winning, maybe that that, that that can be used. And you'd hope that other guys look at that before they need it. And if not, listening to this now, they might go, all right, fuck it, I'm going to look at it now and, and see what, what crack is. You know, I think I think you said something really interesting there, referencing um, Callum Watkins. <coughs> There's, there's an attitude that still exists where people will say, well, what's, what's he depressed about? He's successful, he's yeah, in a trouble winning team, he's earning a lot of money, he's doing what, he's got the job of his dreams. But you don't, you know... You know, you don't choose to feel sad. You don't, you know, you don't choose to feel a certain way. It's like it's a chemical imbalance. Mm. And mm. there's been, even though I reference times when maybe I'm struggling to pay the mortgage, or like my, I remember an episode with with my daughter years ago. She was sort of like six or seven, and all of a sudden from nowhere, she stopped wanting to go to school. She would be in tears at the school gates, and we sort of racked our brains. We thought she was getting bullied. Someone was upsetting her, and it wasn't. We, you know, the teachers were all over it, and she still refers back to that time as she just didn't know whether she was just sort of like developing hormones or whatever, mm-hmm. but essentially like obviously depression when you, when you look at it medically, you know, some sort of chemical imbalance mm-hmm. within you. But there has been times where things have been going really well. I think to myself, oh, I'm kind of half doing the job that I like and, you know, money's not mm-hmm. too bad, but there's st- still, you kind of wake up some mornings and you think, oh, I feel a bit, I feel a bit fed up today mm-hmm. and you can't. And I think, well, you know, everyone's fine, they're fit and well, my family are happy, I'm doing something that I like, but I just feel a little bit down and you don't know why it is. I think it's interesting because sometimes one of the things I've always done is like, you know, you, you start to really think about like, well, what what is it that's making me feel like this? And I think that's the difference. This is a total, this is guesswork on my part. It's mm. not, but I think that's the difference between being like, if you can, you know, if you can find a reason for why you're feeling down and you can try and think about what you might be able to do to address that, even a small thing, that's one thing. But I think it must be that thing of, 
waking up and just not having no idea why you feel that that's that yeah. sounds like that is actual depression isn't it yeah. when you're when it's not about any necessarily i mean i know it can be triggered by events like bereavements or things like that but the people i know when i've talked to people who've got depression it is that thing where it's it's just it comes and they can feel it coming and it's not even necessarily down to something they can pinpoint yeah yeah you know mm. i think in some of those cases um i mean I, i'll I'm honest, I've seen a therapist before and it was really useful for me like um, to talk things through. I did some CBT and stuff like mm. that and I found it really, really useful. And there were reasons for my yeah, for my issues which I could pinpoint. And so I, that's events that have happened? Or, yeah, yeah, there, there right. were certain things and uh, certain uh, kind of, I struggled with OCD for quite a bit and there are kind of like, there are patterns there where you can kind of like tackle. Mm. Um, so... W w it was kind of useful to to name the monster, if you know what I mean, to, yeah. to then know what you're tackling. But I have friends who similar, who sometimes some of their episodes aren't around anything. And I think in those instances, some of the medications can be useful. I didn't want to take medications because mm. I knew what I needed to talk through and deal with. Um, I was advised to once, but I, I chose not to and because I felt like the talking therapy was useful for me. Um, but getting expert opinion was was really, really useful. And, and I think for people, if it is a kind of real a feeling and a sense and you, you feel numb all the time, you don't know why, mm. sometimes the medications can give you that little bit to, to just get back out into the world. And I, I, I mean, I've, I was at one stage in my life when I split up with my ex-partner and my son's mum, I, I went to the doctors and I was really, I was, I was really low and they, they offered me medication mm. and I took the prescription and never really felt comfortable. I felt like I needed to, to just try and get through it. And I felt like I could. Mm. And I was really, and that, that was one of the times I really lent on a lot of my friends, you know, and I really kind of was just dead open about how much I was struggling. And it's amazing when you actually speak to people, especially when they're used to you being quite a positive, upbeat, when they can see that I, I was really lucky. The amount of people that were like, come and stay at my house for a few days, don't be on yeah. your own. Mm. And that got me through it. And to the extent I didn't at that time, but I've got a guy I know um, who's, who's a mate of mine who he he needed the medication and the yeah, medication's yeah. been the right thing for him and he needed to take it and yeah. it's it's helped it to drag him out of that. It can be literally a lifesaver you know? for yeah. some people. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I know some people who have had similar experiences and they've literally been like, this this has actually saved my yeah, life. Yeah. You know, which sounds like quite a dramatic thing to say, but you know, I do. No, it's the truth. Because mm. so there's sometimes a lot of a, a knock on medication. Um, and like I said, I think if a... You know, a qualified health professional thinks it can be something to help you. By all means, go. I do for think it. sometimes with the it can be overprescribed. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think there's a real. I, I remember listening to a thing on on the radio about this recently, and there's a real lack of talking therapy available. You know, the waiting list for it, the availability of it. The but we had Joe Faulkner, yeah. who's the mental health and community lead for the NHS, on one of the episodes, um, and I think the waiting lists. If you're in crisis, they will see you almost on that day. I think they will see you that day. Really? really? But if you're kind of in that, it's not, you know, you're not suicidal. The waiting list can be up to six to nine months. See, I've heard this. It's a long yeah, time. So that's too long. Because even if you're not as bad as that, if you are in quite an acute situation, that's a long, it's a long time to is. sort of try and to deal with that. That's hopefully it, you know? where things like Andy's Man Club and um, yeah. things we might try yeah. and set up can pick up some of that slack in, in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, I know what you mean. If it, there might be a pressure on certain doctors to, to prescribe something just to help people when talking therapy might be best or something that's else what might I be think best. Happened, yeah, um, and that's not a criticism of GP. I do think there's a. 
I think in society generally, not just in mental health, but in general health, there is a tendency to treat symptoms and not causes. And, yeah. and I think if you just go, I mean, I've got a, a sort of ongoing health condition that I've been diagnosed with at the start of this year that, that I, I had an option to start taking, taking drugs for, and I'm trying to manage it mm. through lifestyle and diet and, and maybe, you know, just things. Like that. And, I, and I feel like I'm, I'm managing that, but they are very quick because they're so under pressure. They've not got time. Mm. And, and it's just so easy just to chuck, whatever you mm. know i mean I, I ended up googling some private ones and i think you know I, I got some sessions for 30 quid and it might sound like a lot as a one-off but to get someone really qualified i trusted to yeah to tell me kind of give me some guidelines and and suggest me and actually one it was her who said you, you know you, you don't need medication probably we can talk this through and i think um, if we, i think if you can find a way through it without yeah yeah the medication i think if you can yeah then do then you're probably better to do that aren't you if you can but i would never i remember speaking to my mate about this when he was when he was talking to me about it and he felt mm. really funny about taking the medication but he did feel like it was working and i think in that situation that you know you're right people are instinctively down on medication yeah, they, yeah. for mental health problems i think and I'm yeah not, just mm. as a disclaimer like anyone who is listening we're by no means giving any advice here. Oh, We're no, just no, no, like that's, that's, do speak yeah, to someone solid. who's mm. uh, professional. Yeah, mm. I think some some sort of um, things work for some people and, and and some things don't. I think the point is to to go and address it in it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a really big thing for yourself to go and address it and explore things. You know, whether it's you know through mentality, going to Andy's Man Club or looking at other options. But you know, go see a doctor as well as, as, as even to things touch like. Base giving another plug to the play but things like that can help people i think like Massively. if you can see your experience shared somewhere else and actually i'm not alone and yeah and uh th there's you know again not giving any spoilers away but there's an underlying um kind of hopeful message in the play about friendship and that was absolutely my intention because at one point we were going to write a play about you know about suicide essentially which is, which is what my, my play comes from it from that angle yeah and, um, and obviously that there's a different ways of approaching things but it was interesting because the play was on i didn't go i was hoping to go at south leeds on last friday and i was speaking to the cast they did a q a after and you know it was a rugby club so it was all big blokes in the mm. audience guys who would never go in a theater which is mm -hmm. what i love about this play because it's yeah. It's, it's reached an audience of... It was Hunslet, wasn't it, I think? It was, yeah. was it Hunslet? I was think it, Hunslet? it was, well, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was in a rugby club on Friday night. I think it was Hunslet. And uh, they're, they're a really good audience, you know, a big audience. And, and at the end of it, it was a couple of, like, I think one of the, somebody was involved in the production was in the toilets and heard a couple of guys talking about it. And they did the Q&A and actually a surprising amount of guys contributed and and really mm. were... And this is guys of a certain age, I gather as well. And, you know, guys in their 40s and 50s rather than young sort of kids who might be more, or no kids, but young young adults who might be more inclined to be like that. And I think the play really did stimulate that. And there was a recognition of what, because I think a lot of what goes on between these two guys is a classic sort of friendship mm. in a way. And that evasion of like talking around things without ever, ever actually talking about things, which is what we all do, mm. you know, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we'll give a shout then for, yeah. for people. We're going on Thursday, and then, so the dates are, so hopefully this will be out Wednesday. Uh, so Wednesday there is a performance in, uh, I want to say, Bell Island, Leeds. That rings a bell, I think. Right, Thursday's yeah. Farsley. Yeah. And then there's Friday. Friday's Castleford. And then last night's Barnsley. I think Saturday's the last night, Barnsley, yeah. We'll put all the dates and stuff on the website, but um, 
Yeah, thanks for coming on, Ben. Really ah, appreciate yeah, the chat and Foxy as well. It's always Pleasure good to be on. Always. Yeah. Been awesome. Yeah, good been chat. a good one. It's been kind of like, there's been ups and downs in that there's one. There's light and dark. Yeah, <laughs> but that's like a good play really, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. totally a bit of, bit of difference. Yeah, you always feel a little bit sort of on edge when you're talking about such a serious subject. But, and having just come off sort of like laughing about something and then you go into like a, yeah, yeah. A, down a particular particularly dark avenue but um, I've really enjoyed it yeah it was good yeah good conversation so I'll pop along to uh, to the play and, and we'll see you there